Welcome back to Early Departures. I'm Phoebe. And I'm Ashley. And we're here with another fun episode. Um, I literally have nothing going on in my life at all. I did nothing today except for shove pita chips in my mouth while I sat on the couch and watched old uh, SG-1 episodes. <laughs> for any like other nerds out there know what that is. <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah. it's Well, do you remember the Stargate movie back in the 90s hmm. <laughs> at all? No. It rings a bell. Uh, but it's it... a TV series based on that movie. I was probably watching Clueless. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can watch Clueless and SG-1 PB. Gosh. <laughs> but yeah, that's all I've been doing. Just uh, getting fat and watching sci-fi. So I was uh, really looking forward to recording this to do something with my life today. <laughs> I've just been eating a lot of everything. I bought a giant canister of red vines. Like, that's where I'm at in my life. And my husband doesn't even eat them. It's just me by myself. So so I devoured, like, a massive bag of Swedish fish the other day. I'm on a serious <laughs> Swedish fish kick. So like, did I, though. <laughs> I'm eating, like, a... Oh, God, they're so good. Yeah, I bought, like, a three pounds each of Skittles uh swedish fish and red vines skittles and then i would just make myself little like garbage plates of candy yes yes it was lovely (laughs) and then just eat it right before bed so that i can be wired when i'm trying to fall asleep and then wake up feeling ashamed (laughs) that's my day and night my evening routine and my morning wake-ups Oh, well, luckily I already housed like a whole bag of pita chips before we start recording this, so I'm not even like, oh man, this is making me hungry. I'm like, no, this is pushing me toward like, I'm gonna be sick. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. Nobody cares. So, let's stop talking about food. Mm. I'm hungry. <laughs> I'm ready to eat some chips. Yeah, let's let's go on an adventure. Let's get this show on the road. Yeah. I've got a thrilling tale to tell you. Cool. I guess a tale makes it sound fictional, but it's not. I got a thrilling I mean, story could sound just as fictional as tale. Recap. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not a news report. And it's got some stuff to tell you. It's cool. I'm going to recount an incident that happened in Austria. Okay. Love me some Austria. Let's go. Okay. Yeah. This is a a new country for us. Yeah. True. Okay. So this stemmed from a previous episode where you told us about the cable car incident. Okay. So uh, I looked that up. I wanted to see what the photos looked like. And then it sent me down a rabbit hole of cable car accidents, which we probably could have at least five episodes on. Yeah. But I focused on a funicular. Oh, don't tell me bad things because that's like one of the things I'm not really afraid of. (laughs) Well... I'm here to shatter all of your dreams. Great. So for anyone who's not aware, a funicular is like a uphill roadway of a short distance. They have one in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, right? That's a funicular? Yeah. Cog train? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was going to say, it's not just a road, though. <laughs> it's like a it's like a nearly vertical, short railroad. Yeah. So Pittsburgh in Pennsylvania, Pikes uh-huh. Peak out in Colorado. Yeah. Um, we went to one in Santiago, Chile. Yeah. And they're kind of all over the world. Yeah, they're, they're a pretty big thing. One in Tokyo. But not Tokyo. Duh. <laughs> there's one in Japan. <laughs> there's an, As far as I'm aware, there is not a funicular in the city of Tokyo because there are no mountains in the city. Anyway, <laughs> I want to steal your thunder. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no. That's fine. <laughs> Anyways, they're out there. You've probably come across one. 
Cog trains, funiculars. Yeah. That's where we're at today. I saw one on like Rick Steves Europe or something that I don't remember if it was like the most steep one or the something, but it looked, it did look a little bit terrifying because it was like extremely steep and it was, you know, like up an alpine mountain. So like you're just going up and up and up. I think actually we watched it um, right before we went to Zurich when we were still in Delhi and Remember we watched that Rick Steves? Oh, my gosh, yes, that one. It was in Switzerland. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yep. It was like Rick Steves from like 1994. (laughs) We were like, let's go Were we watching YouTube videos? No, we were watching um, Travel Man uh, with Richard Iowati. And then we that spilled over into Rick Steves' old-ass 1990s, (laughs) Rick Steves Europe. Yes, that was good. That was good. Anyway. (laughs) We're in Austria. Kind of same landscape of... Big mountains and glaciers. Uh-huh. So this is the Gletscherbahn Caprun 2. I'm sure this is exactly how it's pronounced, too. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's not. The Gletscherbahn. <laughs> um, it's a railway running up the Kitsteinhorn Glacier, okay. which is a ski resort in Caprun, which is a small town near Salzburg, Austria. Cool. The funicular opened in 1974 and was the world's first underground mountain railway. Oh, wow. Now, I say underground, and that seems misleading because it didn't go down, but it went up through the mountain, but they just called it underground. Uh-huh. So think of it as a tunnel. Through the mountain, going up. Right now, I'm um, thinking of it as like, what is it, Magic Mountain <laughs> at Disney or something? <laughs> yes. Similar. And it had like a 30-degree pitch. So it went okay. pretty up, pretty far up. Yeah. The funicular consisted of two twin cars that balanced each other out. So one went up, one went down. It was on like a pulley system. It was an electric oh, pulley okay. system. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was no engines, no fuel tanks, no driver, all just low-voltage electricity. So... Hmm. Again, a pulley system. One goes up, one goes down. They are twin, absolute twin cars. Mm-hmm. Each train had four passenger compartments and a cab at the front and the back. So when the train would go up, the guy would sit in the front. And when the train would go down, he would go sit in the rear, which would be now the front. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That makes and he sense. basically, I'll reference him as the conductor. Not really a conductor because he's not driving it. He's more just yeah. kind of like talking to the control system. And yeah. kind of opening and closing the doors. Okay. So, and each train could carry 180 passengers. Oh, wow. Okay. The, I was thinking it was much smaller. No. Pretty big. All right. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, the track was 2.4 miles long. And of that, two miles of that was inside the tunnel. Two miles of that was? Yeah. Pretty much the whole thing's in the tunnel. Wow. I would not like that. <laughs> I got a weird thing about tunnels, you know. And then... The tunnel terminated at the top of the main reception center uh-huh. called the Alpine Center. And that's where like a restaurant and shopping center was. And then other chairlifts and cable cars to take skiers higher up the mountain. Okay. It takes about nine minutes total to complete the trip up or down the mountain. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's also other cable cars that took skiers up and down the mountain that were a bit slower by about four minutes. Okay. So again, it was built in 1974. In 1993, the funicular was updated and modernized with a new sleek and modern look. Hmm. Now we're going to fast forward to opening season of the year 2000. So it was in November 11, 2000, opening day at the resort. And a German ski club slash ski team, it's referenced different ways, was excited to arrive at the mountain for a day on the slopes. There was about 49 individuals in the group, ranging from kids to adults. Okay. Part of that group was Julia Dumotis. Julia, who was 13 at the time, her and her brother, they arrived there first. They arrive at the group and the leader says, you know what? Everyone's running behind. Go up ahead on the mountain. We'll, we'll catch you up there. Because again, you're 
got to get up to the top to where the skiing is, then you take more chairlifts up. Uh-huh. So Julia and her brother got in line for the funicular, but after waiting for a bit, they decided to take the slower route up the mountain on the cable car. Uh-huh. As they descended up the mountain, the rest of the ski club boarded the funicular up the mountain. In total, there was 167 passengers and one train attendee aboard the funicular. I don't like where this is going. (laughs) It's always when, like, when one, (laughs) like, one or two people leave the group, it's like something bad happens either to those two people or to everybody else so that somebody can say, holy shit, that was almost me. (laughs) So I already hate this, but go on. (laughs) Just wait. It was only minutes after the train took off that Thomas Krause, a passenger in the rear car of the funicular, spotted smoke. Um, in some, there was also on an episode of Seconds from Disaster, uh-huh. which is like a TV show from the early '90s. They interview him, and he compares the smoke to like the smoke of a cigarette. Ooh. So I imagine like small and wispy, yeah, yeah. you know, just not billowy kind of and crazy. There. Like so, he noticed that he thinks it's really weird, and then from there, the smoke begins to thicken and fill the train cab compartment, the, where the conductor would have sat, which is separated from the passengers. Uh huh. And now more passengers are noticing because the, the smoke is thickening. And they kind of start to freak out. Now, a thing to note is that these trains don't have any smoke detectors or a way for the passengers to alert the conductor in the front cab. So they see the smoke growing. It's billowing in this cab unit. It starts to seep out. And they're like, we don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. At this point, it's just about a third of a mile into the 2.4 mile ride. And the train comes to a halt. Oh, no. Another passenger tries to call for help on his cell phone, but there's no cell service. At this point, a lot starts to happen. The train conductor who was in the cabin at the upper end of the train realized that a fire had broken out and reported it to the control center. He attempted to open the hydraulically operated doors, but the system pressure had lost and they was preventing them from opening. So, you know, like trying to hit that button, nothing's happening. Yeah. Oh. At that point, the train conductor also lost contact with the central control because the fire that he noticed had broken out was had also burned through a power cable, Ugh, causing a complete blackout Aww. across the whole ski resort. Oh, wow. I thought you were going to say, like, in the funicular. Well, yeah, it's in the funicular and the whole oh, ski resort. God, so you're in a tunnel and it's fucking black, like it's pitch black dark now. And there's smoke? Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's my nightmare. And mind you, they're only like, they're less than, what, a third of a mile into the ride? Like, oh. 600 meters into the yeah. tunnel? So, like, they're just in there. So. And it's like, a, it's like a funicular mountain. So, I imagine that even if you could get the doors open, you're not going to, like, walk up or down the tunnel to get out because it's probably pretty damn steep, right? Just wait. Okay. <laughs> just wait. So... The passenger in the second train now have flames and smoke filling their car. So all of this is happening simultaneously. Mm-hmm. So they're freaking out. They've got fire and smoke super thick in their car. They Ugh. can't get the doors open. So Thomas Krause and another skier start to take their ski poles and attempt to break out the windows. Uh-huh. Now imagine this is kind of like a subway and it's those plastic windows, those shatterproof yeah. windows. Mm-hmm. So. In the interview, he's saying, like, what force it takes for them to kind of, like, break them open. So up ahead, at the front of the car, the conductor is finally able to get the doors open, and the skiers have a choice to make. Do they descend down to the end of the tunnel, but where the fire is raging, or do they head up to the top of the tunnel? Now, remember, at this point, 
The train is basically towards the bottom of the tunnel. Yeah. Back at the rear of the train, the group who share the window at the rear, they start to escape. And part of that group is a retired firefighter. Uh And he knows to escape the smoke, they have to go down past the fire. Yeah. He knew that being a firefighter, that that tunnel was going to act like a chimney. Oh, God. And it was just going to push everything up. So he's like, we got, he tells the group he's with who broke the window, like, hey, we, we got to go down. Yeah. I'm just going to put that away in the back of my mind to remember if that ever happens to me. <laughs> Literally, like life tip, tunnel at an angle acts like a chimney. So like in yeah. a normal tunnel, I watched this interview with this like fire tunnel expert. Like this is a guy who just studies tunnel fires and tunnels. Uh-huh. And he said... In like a subway, the smoke and fire would go up to the ceiling and then spread out. But since this tunnel is at an angle, it acts like a giant chimney sucking the oxygen from the bottom Mm -hmm. and sending all of the toxic smoke up. So, again, when those doors open, everyone's got like a choice to make of like, do I run up or do I run down? Yeah. And remember, the people in the front don't really know what's going on because they're so far away from where the actual fire is. Yeah. So 12 people from the rear of the train successfully broke a window with a ski pole are now attempting to run down the tunnel in their clunky ski boots. And it's like, there's a a clip of what the tunnel looks like. And it's that super narrow metal stairs that you would see like on a bridge or in a subway. And one of the people in the interview say, like, his ski boot gets stuck between the narrow stairs and the tracks, and he starts to panic, and luckily one of the guys grab him and help him out. That would be me, just by the way, in a situation like that, my boot will get stuck. I mean, I'd be terrified. I'd... I mean, you- and I will, I will panic, and I will yell at you. (laughs) Help me! You better take me! So... The one guy describes it as, like, running down the stairs in, like, plaster boots, and you can't just, like, run. Like, you're in ski boots like you're like clomping yeah. down these narrow stairs you're panicking there's smoke all around you oh. it's just like chaos god so and it, as they were running one of the fears they had was that one of the cables would snap and the train would come plummeting down I, that's what i was gonna say for the people who were at the top who had to choose to go you know forward or down I'm like, I don't know enough about how funiculars work to know if that thing would at some point go sliding back down the hill. I know. So, yeah. So, at at this point, the whole resort is aware of the inferno trapped in the tunnel and rescuers begin to arrive. Uh So, we have 500 firefighters, 22 helicopters, and 100 rescue vehicles. Wow. Firefighters who enter the Alpine Center, and at this point, smoke is filling that restaurant dining area. Uh And they said it's like walking into a black void. You can't see anything. And at this point, the entire ski resort is without power, and the fire is raging so intensely they have to call off the rescue efforts. Oh, man. It's not until three hours later at around noon, because this happened at 9 a.m., a group of specialty rescuers enter the tunnel to search for survivors. They also searched for the sister train that was descending on the other side of the tunnel. Oh, I forgot about them. (laughs) I know, right? Jesus. This part is so eerie. They found the conductor and his one lone passenger deceased in the train. (gasps) What? Was it? (sighs) The train that was going up with the 167 passengers was destroyed. Completely melted down to its frame. The steel frames of the tracks had also started to melt. Oh, my God. Julia, the 13-year-old skier from the beginning of the story, and her brother, who opted from the cable car earlier in the story, are now stuck at the top of the mountain as they see the smoke billowing up. Jesus. They call their parents to let them know they're alive. So, in total, 
155 people died. 92 Austrians, 37 Germans, 10 Japanese, 8 Americans, 4 Slovenians, 2 Dutch, 1 from the United Kingdom, and 1 from the Czech Republic. Wow. All but three victims were discovered inside of the tunnel. They weren't inside the car. They were inside the tunnel. Oh. They all died trying to run up, and they died from the smoke inhalation. And I honestly don't think, I remember, I don't remember the exact distance, but I don't think it was more than 15 to 30 meters oh, did the farthest God. person reach trying to run to the top. Yeah. And that's uh, that's a mile uphill, too. Like, with bad air quality. Like, no. In boots. In, in ski boots. But so, okay. The conductor and the passenger in the other car going down. Mm-hmm. What? They died of smoke inhalation. Okay. Ugh. Yep. So, all but three victims were discovered inside the tunnel. And then the other three were found at the top of the station, at the top of the tunnel. So when the smoke got to them, they died. Mm. One of the victims was Sandra Schmidt, a 19-year-old German freestyle skier who at the time was a reigning women's dual moguls world champion. Wow. And also Joseph Schopper, a seven-time deaf Olympic medalist, and was also, along with some of his fellow deaf skiers, passed away. Wow. Um, there was also a United States Army Major, Michael Goodridge, his wife, and his two sons. Hmm. 37 of the victims were all under the age of 20. Wow. Um, 12 people survived the the accident. Those were the ones that got themselves out of the cable car at the back from smashing the window and descended down. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> Crazy. Okay. We're, we're getting on a funicular next time, and... No matter what they try to tell me, I'm going to be like, no, 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 that's cool. I'm going to go to the back of the car. Uh, I'm going to go, I'm going to the back. See you later. And then on the way down, I'm going to be like, I'm going to the front of the car. Excuse me. I have to go to the front. Excuse me. I can't get on unless I'm getting in the front. I need to I need to be next to a door. I need to have a hammer. Yeah. Some cell service. Yeah. Ugh. And you know, cell service just was crappy in back in 2000 anyway. Like, oh, yeah. Nowadays, maybe you would have cell service in there or data or something. So... And the aftermath of it all, no one still knew how the fire started. Yeah. There's no engine. There's no fuel on board. That's so weird. It, when it was modernized in 1993, all the electrical wiring has, gosh, what's it called? The coating of the wires is extinguishable, so it doesn't feed. It goes out. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. The coating on the wires. So, like, how does this happen? So, they brought in 12 forensic investigators to uncover what caused the accident in what was to be called a fireproof train. So there's a ton more details that I have left out a little bit here because, I mean, there's reports on reports mm-hmm. about what had happened. So it just kind of kept it high level, but I'll bring you through kind of the general gist of it. Sure. So they used the sister train to examine the differences between the cars because that was all that was mm-hmm. left. So they took that out of the tunnel, put it into a forensic kind of lab. They even brought in Thomas Krauss, the guy who first spotted the smoke, to help identify where it originated from wow. so they could kind of piece it together. Hmm. It took almost a full year of the investigation to be complete to determine the cause of the fire. So in 1993, when those trains went under their modernization, uh-huh. they added space heaters into the front and back of the cabs for the conductors. Oh, no. The heaters were designed to kick on and off when the train was parked at the station. So it wouldn't be running continuously just when uh-huh. it was parked to give them a burst of heat, go to the top. The heaters were installed just under the control panel mm-hmm. where the pressure gauges for the hydraulic brake line were. Mm-hmm. And the lines of the gauges also passed pretty closely behind the heater encasement. 
So in the report, they said prior to the accident, there had already been a few leaks from the hydraulic fluid lines, which that would be flammable. Uh-huh. And that had kind of leaked around the lines and into the floor a little bit. Great. So there was already some leaks from the hydraulic fluid. Another thing that they studied was that the heater would, the filament, the thing that gets hot for the fan, that would heat up and then the fan blows on it to project the warm air, uh-huh. had also come loose from its encasement. Oh, wow. So it had the potential to kind of like lean forward into the plastic, you know, which would cause a fire hazard. Yeah. So basically, when the train came into the station, the heater kicked on and then the overheating from the fan and the heat filament kind of rubbing and the oil leaks pretty much caused the perfect scenario for a fire. And now because there had been previous like oil drippage Mm -hmm. around there and on the floor, it just sat, it just created fuel for the fire. It's genuinely like... On Final Destination, <laughs> where it'll be like a little, a little cutout of like, this is what's going on behind the panel. And it's like, nobody else can see it. And it's like, drip, drip, drip. Boom. <laughs> what? Well, when you, when you watch the, um, Seconds from Disaster show, that's what it is. It's like a little yeah. video of like little drip of the oil in the filament, the heating element. So, yeah. Um, and then they'd like cut away to the brother and sister. At the top of the mountain, just going, oh, shit. Yeah. They actually weren't a part of this story when I was just researching stuff. Uh-huh. I found her account of it. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then I, it was like a, you know, it's like the rabbit hole that you go down when you start reaching. Like, it started yeah. on a Wikipedia page, led me to Reddit, led me to YouTube, <laughs> you know, led me to some scholar report on tunnel fires. It's just. <laughs> now you're a, t- a tunnel fire expert. Yeah. Yeah. So. When the train left and started ascending up the mountain, the fire caused a loss of pressure in the hydraulic lines, which made the emergency braking system kick on. Hmm. So part of me thinks that if the lines didn't lose pressure, could they have made it to the top before the fire yeah, got maybe. out of control? You know? Yeah. I don't know, though. Um, yeah. That's out of my realm of engineering and forensic studies. I thought you said you were a tunnel fire expert, VVT. <laughs> I said I went down a rabbit hole. <laughs> I watched a guy that was an expert. You know, naturally that makes me Yeah, a- but I said it and you agreed with me. So that makes you the expert. So scary part was that the heater wasn't meant to be in vehicles. It was your standard home space heater. Oh, no. The heater was not meant to be installed in trains. Yeah. It's supposed to be the kind you buy in your home. Just like the, the one you kick underneath your desk, the ones you put in your bathroom in the middle of the winter. Right. Like never meant to be installed in a train. Yeah. Which even when those are in my house, I feel a little bit less safe than when they're not. So <laughs> if, they, if they're designed for your house and I'm scared of them, definitely don't put them in a train. Yeah. Basically, that's what caused the fire. Terrifying. Mm-hmm. After that, 16 individuals were charged with criminal negligence. So 16 individuals, including train operators, suppliers, inspectors, the whole gamut of people kind of involved with that refurb of the trains. Mm-hmm. During the trial, they said that during the refurbishment, the management team requested that the purchasing department purchase the fan heaters that were already being used in another funicular. Mm-hmm. But at the time of the refurb, those domo fans weren't available and the purchasing department just purchased the domestic heater. Ooh. So therefore the management said they had no idea the fans installed weren't the originally requested ones. And then the technicians mm-hmm. who installed them said, well, I assumed they were the right ones. They were just handed to me 
we all assumed it was yeah, all good. They don't good. make the decisions. They yeah. Just put them in. yeah. And during the investigation, when they first requested the manual for the heater, the forensic team was given the Domo heater one, not the actual brand that it was. Uh. So there's a lot more intricacies about was there oil on the track? Was there not oil on the track? How long had it been leaking? Was that overlooked? Uh-huh. Tons of details. Go read it if you want to, if you want to. Tons of information. I believe what caused it was them installing domestic home use heaters into a vehicle and also putting them so Mm. close to the wiring because remember like these wires sit behind it and i'll we'll post the photos of what that looks like it's very detailed online Mm. so in 2004 after an 18-month trial an austrian judge acquitted 16 suspects and cleared them of the charges of criminal negligence ruling there was insufficient evidence oh no at least whoever said Get the dumb ones and not the domo ones <laughs> should go to jail. <laughs> I was going to say should, you know, be, uh, you know, whatever, like, fined, whatever. And then I remembered that, like, what, 155 people died? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they needed to go to jail. <laughs> they also tried to point – I mean, everyone was outraged. There was protests when this happened. People were furious. They also tried to put blame on the German heater manufacturer. Mm -hmm. They actually ended up going out of business after this happened. But in 2007, now this is seven years afterwards, public prosecutors found the manufacturers were not responsible. Which, like, yeah, I mean, they didn't tell you to put that in a train. Yeah. They were just selling it. I'm sure they didn't say, what is this for, before we sell it to you. (laughs) And remember, they only bought four, you know? Yeah, so it wasn't even like we're manufacturing some big thing and they would that would tip them off of like, oh, no, you you need this one. That's the domestic Mm -hmm. one. Mm. So probably thought they were buying them for the office, you know? (laughs) Right. Again, a lot more intricacies in the trial and the investigation, but that's kind of like the boilerplate of it. We'd I'd be here for another two hours telling you all about it. And then this would be a go-to-bed podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Put you to sleep while Phoebe reads legal documents. Yes. Can you read me the wiring diagram again, Phoebe, please? Um, Relatives of the victims pursued legal action against the cable car operators with civil suits. Uh And in 2008, the civil cases were settled and they were set out to pay the victims' families $21 million. So that was an individual that was like across the board. Uh Wow, that's not enough. They never reopened the funicular or the tunnel. They closed it down forever. Yeah. They didn't reopen the ski resort until like 27 days later. And I want to say the area lost $2 million in tourism revenue. Yeah. Damn it. I wrote this down so I don't have my <laughs> notebook in front of me. But it severely impacted the community and the town from a tourism standpoint. Yeah. Because 87% of the people in the town worked in tourism or the ski resort. So that was really upsetting for everyone that, you know, we've talked about this before in sure, episodes yeah. when something happened somewhere. What's the economic impact of that? So they closed down the funicular forever. They've installed a high-tech cable car now. Mm. And then they've also built out a memorial there for the deceased. Mm. And it's this really beautiful kind of tunnel-esque building. It sounds terrible <laughs> now that I say that out loud. And it's Yikes. these rainbow piece colored pieces of glass. And each single pane of glass represents one life lost. Huh. It's very beautiful. Wow. And there's, like, a memorial to them, and they have remembrance days and things. Yeah, we'll put a picture of that on Instagram for sure. And then, so you remember the woman, Julia, who I mentioned earlier in the story, who opted for the cable car? Mm -hmm. Well, 
She actually ended up becoming an Olympic gold medalist. Wow. She was in the 2004 Saatchi Olympics. Wow. Now, if you want to read about her story, it's super interesting, too. She talks about the struggles of losing interest in skiing and snowboarding Mm. because of the loss associated with it. She was angry. Um, She had quite a few injuries in between um, competing for her medal. So Uh she's got a really interesting story as well. Damn. So, yeah, that's a funicular accident. Wow. And I'm sweating. (laughs) He just sucked all the fun out of funiculars for me for the rest of my life. Oh, my God. You actually managed to, like, I wasn't, you know, funiculars, I've always been like, they're okay because they're on, like, a track where they have, like, you know, uh, it's like a lock and groove situation where it's pulling the thing up the mountain. And they've had, like, some of the oldest funiculars are from, like, the 1800s, I think. And I'm like, okay, they've had them forever. They've worked out the kinks. Like, it's fine. Yeah. But I also, I don't like going steeply up a hill on anything. So it's always in the back of my mind a little bit. But I also do have a massive fear of tunnel situations, and especially fires and tunnels. And um, so you just went ahead and smashed those together and made some nightmare fuel for me (laughs) the next time I have to (laughs) get on a funicular somewhere. Yes. So we've also learned good life lessons and survival tips. Yeah. Angled tunnels create chimneys. Yeah. Go down, even if it means you have to run through the fire. Flat tunnels, everything rises, so we need to crawl. Yeah, and and fight like hell to break a fucking window, even if it's made of plastic material. Like, just keep trying. Yes. And they also said, which I probably forgot to mention, um, after this happened, France, like, immediately went and was like, oh, we're going to do safety tests on all of our funiculars. Uh. And all the other funiculars in Austria, they've installed um, those little hammers. Yeah. You know, you see them on buses Mm -hmm. to break through. Um, They've installed intercoms, um, smoke detectors, sprinkler systems. Because one thing they said that this was supposed to be fireproof. There never, since 1974, there'd never been an accident. There'd really not been much, like you said, funiculars pretty much assumed to be pretty safe. No one ever expected this. So, like, the fact that it didn't have fire alarms and things like that is just because no one knew better because it had never happened. Yeah, yeah, because just like I said, as far as, like, them, some of them being super old, it's like a primitive form of transportation. And so you're like, there's not a whole lot that can go wrong in here. <laughs> Apparently, that's not correct. So if you have a funicular that's been running, let's say, every day since... 1875 and there's never been a problem why would you think to install a a intercom or fire sprinklers or anything else you wouldn't like you just wouldn't until something fucking happens that's crazy yeah i just remember the one that i went to um in in japan was um at mount koya at koyasan and it was pretty steep and it was really long too as far as i remember it was like a pretty long voyage on that thing and it was fine, except for when we were waiting to go back down, I didn't want to sit on it while we waited for it to go down because it was going to be like a five minute wait or something. And so I had to stand outside of the car until it was actually time to go. And then I was fine. I just don't, I don't know. It's always a fear that it's just going to let go. <laughs> You're just going to go like every Every single time I've ridden on one, mm-hmm. I feel like I've sat in, in the front. Yeah. You know, or, or like leaning over the edge, and I'm like, yeah, with this thing, just if this cable snaps, we're like, we're going. Yeah, we're smashing into something. Yeah, but I think that's just how our crazy minds work. 
Hence why we have this podcast. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, you know, it's really funny that you should tell me about funiculars because something that's kind of like a funicular is an open air tram, which is what I'm going to tell you about today. So. It's so weird we keep doing this. We always do something related. <laughs> I swear. You're looking at my show notes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm waiting for the day that we both show up with the same story. Yeah. And then, you know, what? we'll just tell it. And then when you say something and I have a different note or an an extra note, I can jump in on it. Totally. Yeah. Uh, So this one's pretty brief, uh, but I I wanted to tell you about it so that because it's one of those random things that I want you to store away in your Mary Poppins travel bag of fear (laughs) and um, to take it with you the next time we travel. It's funny, too, that you took me back to 2000 and I'm taking you all the way back to 1985. And that is September 21st, to be exact. I was two years old. I think you were not born yet. <laughs> I was just going to say, I was just like, I was just like a twinkle in someone's yeah. eye. Uh, newlyweds Robert, who was 26, and Greta Ross, who was 21, drove about three and a half hours from their home in Pleasanton, California, to spend the night at a cabin in Yosemite National Park. During the day, they took an open-air tram called the Yosemite Valley Floor Tour. This is a tour that's uh, like two hours and is led by park rangers that takes visitors by sites such as Yosemite Falls, Half Dome, Tunnel View, Bridal Vale, Fall, and others. Wait, the the tram rides two hours? Yeah. This does it does it still exist because I've never heard of a tram in Yosemite Park. Well, <laughs> buckle up then. <laughs> does this couple? Is the reason probably why it doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> um, well, two hours, that's long. Yes, two hours. So on the tour, passengers sit in rows of four while the park rangers tell passengers about the park history and point out various flora and fauna. So it's basically just a really fast way, relatively fast <laughs> way to see a lot of stuff and learn about the park. And so to give you an idea of what it looks like, it's like several rows of four of just bench seats. And then it's almost like a tractor in the front that somebody's driving that's pulling this kind of like flatbed with all these rows of seats. And then there's a park ranger who sits backwards behind the driver and points out things. Oh my gosh. I'm imagining. Wait, we were looking at like the open air I guess maybe not, it's not a tram, but like the open air kind of tram slash cable cars that are like in Asia. Oh, and like-, like an aerial tram? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm like a two hour aerial tram. How long? Like how much cable is this? I don't want to be in a thing for two hours. Oh my God. No, I would how die. How have I never heard of this before? Okay. Okay, this is making a lot more sense. I'm glad I took the time to explain what it is physically. <laughs> I literally, and then you're like, there's couples, groups sit in seats of four. And I'm like, how many people go in this thing? Is this like a glider? <laughs> it's just a, you know, it's a Zeppelin. But you know, what I was envisioning was that, um, remember that one, You, I think you and I watched the video of it when we were like looking at cable cars in general. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, God. It's was like, it like an open top cable car? Yeah, it was like in the Philippines or Vietnam, and it's super yeah. long, and it goes over the ocean and goes to like an island. Yeah, Singapore, I think. Yeah, it's like the wood, and they got a little like wooden table inside. That's what I was envisioning. <laughs> yeah, definitely not that. <laughs> okay, so these people are on a tractor 
situation. Like the tram thing that takes you through Disney. Well, I've never been to Disney, so I don't know, but I'm going to go with probably yes. Okay. Um, Definitely looks like something that, like, if you showed me a picture of the vehicle itself, I would think that a bunch of children would be, like, you know, it was like a train for children type thing. But all of the pictures I saw of it actually had all adult people. So Does it, you know. does it have a canopy on it? It does not. Okay, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm. Uh, I've got a better visual now. Okay. So Greta and Robert were sitting next to a woman named Carrie Artis and her husband, and the rest of the tram carried about 46 or so passengers. So all together, around 50 people on this tram. So it's a sunny Saturday, and they're on a nice relaxing tour in a beautiful national park. Of course, something has to go wrong, or else it wouldn't be on our show. And um, just a short time into the ride, Carrie heard a loud crack. Like bark being ripped off a tree, she said. Carrie and her husband looked up just in time to see that a large tree to their right was about to fall directly on them. And remember, there's no top on this vehicle, so it was literally about to fall on them. This is when they want the canopy. Yeah. Yeah, right? Well, I don't know. Would the canopy just smash you like a pancake, though? That's true. Uh, Her husband quickly pushed her down and spared her from the brunt of the tree's path. Carrie recounted the incident, saying, quote, he was under the tree with the two people next to us. They weren't moving at all, and I knew that they were gone. Carrie and her husband were injured and had to be treated at a hospital, but made it out okay. Greta and Robert, who had sat next to them, sadly did die from their injuries. Imagine, like, a whole tree just falling on you. No, that's terrifying. Out of nowhere. Especially seeing it happen. Like, the fact that she heard it and was like, oh, God, that tree's gonna fall. Yeah, there's nothing you can do but just, like, wait to see what happens. Like, you know, you can't move out of the way. You're in a confined little space. Yeah. But just like my ziplining friends from episode one, I can't imagine and don't ever want to know what it's like to be right next to somebody who, or, like, behind somebody who dies from a freak accident that totally could have been me if, like, the timing had just been a little bit different, you know, or if if you had chose that seat instead of this one, like... It's awful. It's that final destination shit. Yeah, for sure. And like, imagine Carrie and her husband, he gets treated to the hospital and they go home and are they like, well, we either have to do something amazing with our lives or just like do nothing at all and stay inside and be afraid of the world. Like, <laughs> And every tree and every creak of, you know, cracking of a tree that we ever hear. I mean, like trees are everywhere. So that'd be quite a phobia to develop <laughs> in your life. And like every time the wind blows. Or like a thunderstorm. Yeah. Like the tree that fell in your yard. I'm just about to say, like two, three weeks ago when Ashley re- and I were recording, like literally hit stop recording. <laughs> like, hey, great session. Talk to you later. Bye. And then I text Ashley. and I'm like, it's about to be a tornado here. And all of a sudden I just watch a tree snap and fall in my yard. It's like. Yeah. Like, and before that, it was like beautiful out. I was sitting in the window just like yeah. looking at the birds and the blue sky recording the podcast. Yeah. Then boom. Yeah. So, and and this was like a beautiful day. No problem. That's the scary part. Yeah. Yeah. There was, there was just no reason whatsoever. There was no like high wind. It didn't, it didn't suddenly turn into a thunderstorm. Like it was just normal. Um, so you never be, there's never been a time in my life when I've been like outdoors and been like, oh, got to watch out for trees. They might just suddenly fall. So, you know, so that's a new thing to worry about. But it also made me think of when I was living in Samoa and there were roving packs of wild, like zombie dogs 
that were unneutered and very aggressive and they would follow you around and chase you and definitely bite as many people as they could like it was their job and when I got back from there when I moved to Dallas I was in the parking garage of my building underground and this late like old lady with a little dog she got out of her car and her little dog jumped out of the car before she had a chance to put a leash on it and that dog came barreling at me like running wasn't barking wasn't looking aggressive it was about, you know, I don't know, a half a foot tall. It was tiny, but it was running toward me. And I literally screamed and ran away, like ran through the parking lot like a nut job because I was so scared of dogs at that point. But like two or three years later, I get Olaf, who's a massive, you know, 70 pound pitbull looking dog. And so I wonder, though, would I have gotten over my fear of dogs if I had seen somebody actually like, get mauled to death next to me? So like these people with a tree, it's like because they saw a tree kill somebody next to them. Will they always have a little fear of trees <laughs> or, you know, or will it go away? Will it be like two or three years later? They're like, they're fine. And they're like, OK, enough time has gone where trees didn't fall on me. <laughs> I think you'd always be skeptical. Yeah, I think. I don't know. Imagine like, because like my favorite thing in the world is to go hiking and especially places where there's like lots of trees and wind. And so you can just hear like the wind rustling through the leaves. Like I love that sound more than anything. And I can't imagine if that sound scared me now. (laughs) If like being hiking and looking around and seeing all these trees, you just thought, which one's going to fall on me? I know. Yeah. That would be nuts. Yeah. So anyway, it turns out. It wasn't the entire tree that fell, but instead a 25-foot branch of an oak tree. I asked the website the measure of things, what 25 feet was equivalent to, just to try to give an idea of how long that branch was. Yeah. And it told me it was the length of five Danny DeVitos. Five Danny DeVitos. And it was also 18 inches around. (laughs) Yeah. So if if five of them were laying end to end, that's how many it was. Okay. But Danny DeVito's short. He's 4'9". So... You know, you can imagine five of him in eighteen in eighteen inches round. How round is he? Was it literally like a Danny DeVito? <laughs> <laughs> I think he's a little bit bigger than eighteen inches around. <laughs> Pretty sure I'm bigger than eighteen inches around. So, <laughs> um, I think eighteen inches around would be like a third of a Danny DeVito. <laughs> I've never been to this website, but clearly I should go there. <laughs> it's really fun. So five Danny DeVitos fall about 15 feet, which is three Danny DeVitos, onto the open air tram and kill Robert and Greta, but also injure 12 others. And those injuries included broken bones and head injuries. And those passengers had to be airlifted to a couple of different regional hospitals in the areas of Modesto, Mariposa, and Fresno. So they weren't just like... You know, oh, injuries. They were, like, serious enough injuries to get you airlifted to a hospital kind of situation. Right. They're not just, like, cuts and scrapes on the branches. It's like, no, that branch just, like, snapped your arm in half. Yeah, yeah. Or, like, you have a hole in your head or cracked your skull or something like that. We should always wear helmets when we leave the house now. (laughs) Helmets and face masks and gloves (laughs) will just be fine. Sit in the back of the funicular. and. This is, you know, completely random, but the people who were sitting in the front of the um, open air tram got hit the worst by the tree because it just happened to fall 
you know, while they were under it. So the people in the back were basically fine. It was mostly just the people up front. Man, one of those things you're just like, the luck of the draw, you know? Yeah. Well, I was thinking that had to be scary for the driver, because he's like way up at front. And then the park ranger, too. I mean, it must have just missed them and then fallen right on the passengers in the front. Lucky, but also unlucky, I guess. Yeah. The tram tour had been running since 1970 without any incident. And by 1985, about 100,000 people were taking this tour every year. So this is just a really freak accident situation and just two really unfortunate people over the course of that many people in that many years doing the exact same thing. It's probably two people out of millions, you know? Right. The predictability of that happening was probably, you know, who would have known? Yeah, absolutely. Jack Peters, who had been driving the tram at the time of the accident, said, quote, there was a crack. I heard a crack. There was no wind. There was no snow. There was nothing. It just came down and hit the tram. A spokesperson for the park said that they were investigating the cause, but they didn't think they would find an actual reason because the tree itself was healthy and green and there were no weather-related reasons for it to happen. Just a plain old freak accident that nobody could have predicted. Have you ever been to Yosemite? I have not. I have not either, but I would really like to go. And if we do go someday, we can actually go on the valley floor over to your tram tour because... (laughs) They still do it, and it sounds kind of fun. I'm way more into it now that I know it's like a moving vehicle thing and not a two-hour air tram. (laughs) Right. And then it's like a one in – or a two in millions and millions and millions and millions of chance (laughs) that a tree branch could fall and just kill you. But it's uh, $38 for a ride, and you can go from April through mid-October – And anytime other than that, they actually still do it, but they do it in a bus instead of an open-air tram because obviously it's cold and snowy. Um, So, yeah, we should just – we should go. We should do it and just, you know, watch out (laughs) for branches and trees. And if we take the bus route, I'm bringing a little safety hammer. (laughs) See, I would actually feel less safe on the bus. Right, yeah. I don't want to be on the bus. I've heard of, like, all kinds of bus crashes. I've heard of one open-air tram crash, like, you know. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I, I feel like if we did go, though, it that would also be how we die. <laughs> Just because we're, like, making fun of it right now. And the headlines would be, like... Well, the brake system would start a yeah. fire in the open-air tram. <laughs> and it would be underneath our seats. And we'd go up instead of down. <laughs> we'd be re- wearing really flammable clothes or something. You know, we'd have, like, on that hiking gear that's, yeah. like, we've sprayed oh, yeah. with tick repellent. That's super flammable. <laughs> Obviously, our whole bodies would be flammable with alcohol anyway. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so we should do it. And um, we should do it just to also see what it's like. Um, the couple who died, they were, like, uh, just a young kind of, like, go-getter couple. The guy was working on his master's and like, I think civil engineering. And um, the woman was working on her bachelor's. And when they died, it was like the departments from they went to two different schools and the departments from both of those schools got together and like put together some money, I think, for like a scholarship prize for other students. And then they put like a little plaque on a bench, like on the quad or whatever, saying in memory of them. And I could not even find a picture of Robert, but there was a picture of Greta. And she's just a sweet girl in her 20s in the 80s, you know, like, 
very, very sad. They were just, you could imagine that they were just like newlyweds, just going out for like a brief one night vacation before going back to school on Monday. Uh, yeah, just living their life. Like, oh, yeah, that's a bummer. Freak accidents, man. Yeah. Watch out for fucking tree sized branches. Um, you know, and recently, I, when I was living in Philadelphia, uh, one of the gigantic trees in Rittenhouse Square fell. Like, it just fell over one day. I don't think it hurt anybody, but it was, like, shocking that a tree that large could just fall over. And it wasn't even that much of, a, like, a wind situation. It was just really, um, for whatever reason, it had grown really shallow roots and nobody knew. And so it just, like, decided fuck this and just fell right over one day so watch out for trees well to piggyback off that um i found this really weird uh mushroom mold growing in my backyard and of course i like take a picture oh, yeah. i actually didn't take a picture i just said actually i found this really gross shit in my yard you gotta look at it and yeah. <laughs> it's called dead man's fingers because that's exactly what it looks like it was like four fingers it really does. coming out of the ground and it's black but when I was reading about yeah. it, they said that if you notice that around trees in your yard, to cut down the trees immediately because that means the tree is dead and decaying. And oh, that's wow. why that like type of mushroom grows because mm. um, it feeds off of dead trees. Uh -huh. So I do actually don't have a tree where it is. I have so at some point someone removed that mm -hmm. tree. So it's just like the old root system that's sort of like still in the in the ground. But interesting yeah. you find dead man's fingers in your property run <laughs> get rid of the tree it's near because it will fall yeah run away and call a professional so interesting tree facts yeah and you know the funny thing is not funny but interesting is that i definitely have always worried about trees falling on me or my house or whatever when it's bad weather whether it be windy or a thunderstorm but i've never i've never had a single concern in my life when it was just normal weather it's not something you think of. Yeah, normal weather riding a tram is like the last thing you think of. Yeah. But that's that's all for me and the poor, poor, unfortunate Rosses. Yeah, that is a bummer. These little transportation vehicles are supposed to be taking people to fun. And then boom, you know? Yeah, yeah. I know. I mean, that's that's the whole bummer thing of our whole <laughs> show here is that everybody's <laughs> just trying to go have fun, relax and on vacation, and then they die. Or, you know, like a hippo tries to rip their leg off or whatever. Yeah. <sighs> All right. Well, as always, we'll be back next Monday. And until then, be safe. And depart on time. <laughs>